Hello and welcome to the Vision Carriers podcast. My name is Jeremy Johnson. I'm Hunter Petty. And I'm Ryan, and we are your host. Vision Carriers podcast is produced by Neo Church in Seven Hills, Ohio. If you would like more info on the podcast or Neo Church just in general, be sure to check out our website, neochurch.org. Take a minute to follow our podcast on whatever platform you listen on to be notified of when we release future episodes. If you would like to connect with us directly, you can send us an email to visioncarrierspodcast at gmail.com. On this podcast, we will interview people from our staff, our church body, different influential speakers, authors, pastors, missionaries, and others seeking to learn from them and grow in our understanding of the gospel and its work in the world around us. Uh, They will share their unique story of how the gospel is at work in their lives. We will hear stories from them that make them who they are today. So we hope that these stories will encourage you to take steps in your own life to pursue all that God has for you. Uh, So also at times we will have discussions on biblical, spiritual, or even theological topics uh, to help you grow in your knowledge and understanding of God's word. Yeah, we see throughout history that God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things for him. Uh, We hope to share some of those stories with you here on this Vision Carriers podcast. Well, guys, now that that's all out of the way, let's hop into this week's episode. Awesome. Man, oh man, I'm excited. This is so cool. Thank you for doing this again, by the way. Hey, thanks for having me. Um, so we have, I sent you these over last week, the questions that we have for you. But before we do that, why don't we kind of just intro uh, Nate to the podcast, so everybody that's listening. Um, our first episode, actually, we just dropped it a couple weeks ago, and we had a lot of like positive feedback. So I think this will be an awesome follow-up to Jeremy's episode. So, oh, man. Um, if you want to ask him the first question that we got for him, I think it's a good way to start the podcast, Jeremy. Well, yeah. Um, so once again, as Hunter said, really, really appreciate you jumping on. Uh, we're doing a mission trip coming up here uh, in like two, two and a half weeks, and uh, we're coming down and hanging out with you. So um, Nate, obviously you and your family are all in the Dominican Republic. You've been down there. Tell us how many years you've been down there and just uh, a little bit about your family and yeah, yeah. Just give us some quick feedback there. Super excited. Looking forward to you guys coming down, by the way. Uh, that's a huge blessing to us. Uh, anytime we get to host a church from the United States. So we're, we're really excited about that. And we're, what, four and a half years in now. So um, grew up in Northeast Ohio on a dairy farm. I did. Rachel grew up in Medina, as you know. And We've been married for 16 years. We have four children. And um, like I said, been here in the DR for about four and a half. Oh, that's awesome. So you said you have four kids. How old are uh, each of your kids? Our oldest is 14 and our youngest is seven. So we've got a 14, a 12, a 10, and a seven. Three girls and one boy. Man, oh man. What's the biggest difference between living in the United States and then living in the Dominican Republic? A major difference is just availability, I would say. I mean, I know, man, one time it had been a long span since we had been back in the States, and I walked into Walmart and just was overwhelmed in the candy aisle. (laughs) There was an entire aisle dedicated to nothing but candy, and I was just looking up, looking down, looking right, looking left, and I'm thinking, what in the world? There are so many options here. It's not even funny. That's awesome. Um, there's a, a lot of times we go on mission trips, you know, anytime we go to an Island, it's always, you know, like 
relax. We're on island time. Is there is there island time there in the DR, or is it kind of fast-paced like we're used to? No, there's absolutely island time here in the DR. In fact, they call it DR time. They call it the minute. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So they claimed that stake right there. They're like, no, this is Dominican time. Um, so but yeah, there's a, there's a value on time differently than what you and I would value time. I mean, their value on time is not efficiency. Their value on time is time spent. Wow, that's cool. Huh. That's that's pretty unique. That is unique. Um, you said you grew up on a dairy farm. Does that mean you were milking cows when you were young? And <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what it means. And now I'm in ministry, and I'm still getting pooped on and kicked at. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> that's great. <laughs> we kill you, brother. Uh, that's, that's a little farmer awesome. joke, but um, no, yeah, I grew up milking cows. You know, twice a day. Um, we had about a hundred head of cattle, and probably up that's until cool. I was in middle school. So this is probably a question you get pretty commonly, but what is the best thing about the Dominican Republic living there? And what's the worst thing? Oh, I would say the best thing is the people. I mean, the people, the culture itself is so warm. They're looking at um, even, even strangers. I mean, they're looking at uh, us as an opportunity to just share their life, share a cup of coffee. You know, they'll invite you in and be like, sit down, sit down. Let's let's just have some coffee. Let's have some uh, good conversation, whatever. And sure. the people are just really warm. So I love that. The weather obviously is just icing on the cake. Yeah, that's so cool. Of course. Um, I think what's cool is kind of like our the second thing that I had wrote down on there. But you've known you guys have known Jeremy's family for a while. Um, so I kind of think it'd be fun to maybe share back when you guys first met, cause your lives were a lot different then, but I was telling him actually, it's kind of totally random. I don't even know if you remember, but my wife, Megan, she was in the youth group at grace when you guys volunteered there. Um, and she was telling me that, um, she's like, I love them. She's like, I'm so, so glad that we're like partnering with them. Like, that's just so random how like full circle now me and her do youth group. And we just had, I don't know. It's just, it's so weird how that kind of works out about how. I'm talking to you now on a Thursday afternoon, but you poured That's out That's awesome. Wife. Did she tell you we ran into her over the summer? And uh, Yeah, she, to she told me uh, store. Target or something, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so I, was like, I just thought that was so cool. So like, when did you guys meet way back when, Jeremy's, for like our church to know how we met the Stone family? Yeah, no, we, um, see, I, I knew Rachel way, way back. And then, um, Nate, I, I remember meeting you man it was when i was still there in medina i remember me i remember seeing your yeah um then obviously what about uh i don't know about a year ago we started reconnecting and god kind of crossed our paths um but yeah rachel man you have an amazing you know you have an amazing wife and we can't <laughs> wait to meet your kids obviously um well, thank she you. is like full of life she's always been full of life oh my goodness yeah i got the pure gold man she, i am blessed a little bit but she came to i taught her there at the medina christian academy for for quite a few years oh um, yeah that's right that's right. Yourself yeah. right there a little bit i did <laughs> i did oh man I, i've had two scenarios this week I, I saw a guy we just came back from winter retreat with our student ministry and there was a guy there. He's probably in his mid thirties, and he was telling me about how Jeremy was eight, his eighth grade teacher. <laughs> and so I was like, Jeremy's aging himself oh, these last few weeks. But hey, I mean, hey, that's cool. Um, that's pretty man, cool. Oh, man. 
<laughs> yeah. So when did you guys, you said it was about four and a half years ago that you made the transition down to the DR? Is that how long you guys have been doing it? Yeah. So I was on staff and this probably leads a little bit into the next question. I was on staff at the chapel in North Canyon and cool. we were doing college ministry there. We were leading teams of students here right to this town that we currently live in, Harabakoa. Wow. And yeah, I mean, God just used every trip to put another stitch into our heart. I mean, he was just sewing us here is what I usually say. Um, he obviously called us and we felt that call and surrendered to that call in September of 2016 and began to full-time fundraise for that next year. So our welcome to the DR, our transition here was September of 2017. So think Hurricane Irma and Maria, those back-to-back Caribbean hurricanes that came through and wiped out Puerto Rico. Yeah, that was our welcome to the DR. That's, That's wild. Yeah, that does lead in perfectly to the next question. So if you want to throw that out in Ryan, number three. Yeah, so uh, tell us about your testimony, a little bit about it, and when you felt the call into ministry or missions and just just kind of that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I would have told you guys that I was a believer my entire life. I mean, I was raised in the church um, at 10 years old. I prayed the prayer, went forward, got baptized, all that. And the problem is, looking back on my life, nothing changed. I mean, I looked exactly like every other student I went to school with. And um, that's not good, right? I mean, we're supposed to look different. I mean, Jesus, when he comes in, when he gives you a new heart with new desires, you want to follow him. And that was not me. Um, Maybe that's because I was just doing what everybody else was doing at the time. But as I grew up, as I get got into youth group at my church, I mean, I had kind of a pessimistic attitude towards it. Like everybody else is a hypocrite. You know, the problem was so was I, but I didn't, I didn't think that at the time, you know. Um, after graduating high school and going to Akron U, I thought I'm going to be a teacher. And that didn't last long. I mean, I went to school for one year and dropped out. Um, mainly because I started hanging out around the party scene, around with all the people, all the friends that I had that would go to um, sororities and, um, you know, that kind of thing. It was just like, well, they can live that life, so can I. I, And it was a double life, you know. Yeah. Um, Not until I met Rachel and her family did I watch a family of believers actually live out what they believed, like not just talk to talk, but walk the walk. And I began to go back to church mainly to see her. I'll be honest. Like <laughs> yeah. I, God I used, I tell everybody, God used what he knew I loved more than him, which is a woman. <laughs> and um, to bring me back into the church, to hear the truth proclaimed, but actually watch it demonstrated in real time. And so um, what I can tell you is that at, over those couple of years, after getting to know Rachel and her family, he completely transformed me from the inside out. I mean, he, I look back on my life and the way I was, I should have been dead. I should have been, um, not making it past my 21st birthday, you know? Yeah. Wow. So, um, he gave me a gift in Rachel and, um, a family with four kids that I do not deserve. And so, yeah, we, we began to serve in ministry at Grace Baptist in Brunswick. Um, Hunter, just like you and Megan are, yeah. I mean, we were doing, we were doing the youth group thing and, um, it just felt like, man, 
there's got to be more than just answering the spiritual questions of young people on Sundays and Wednesdays, yeah. right? Um, there's got to be an intentionality. There's got to be uh, a depth to relationship. And so it really struck us when uh, a girl that Rachel's brother had been dating for about a year and a half, um, she hit a dark time in her life and she took her own life. And this is a girl that my, my kids, they were young, but they would pray for her every night. They would, um, you know, we would invite them over for dinner. We would be going on trips to Cedar Point, that kind of thing. And like, we spent a lot of time with this girl and how could somebody so close to us be, be somebody we really didn't know much deeper than the surface. And it kind of turned our attention to what was going on with how we were serving in the youth group at grace like are we just here to to fulfill a role or are we here to be intentional and get to know and dive deep with these students to show them that we really care because look jesus cared for us right um and so that that really began the call to full-time ministry for me um i remember i was on the road in a work truck one day driving down 271 and i had to pull over because I'm not going to say it was the audible voice of God, but it was so clear to me that God was asking me, what are you doing? You're not doing yeah. what I've asked. And it was right That's then awesome. and there that I surrendered to full-time ministry. Um, and I was just broken over, over that question. Like, what are you doing? You're not doing what I asked. Um, and it was true. Yeah. Wow. Like I was so broken because I knew it was true. I knew I was doing what was comfortable. So, yeah. Um, the, uh, that's, that's so, I mean, you're sitting in a room with, I mean, talking to Jeremy and I, and we've, we both shared on the podcast too, kind of, and even with Ryan on how we ended up doing ministry in the way that we do ministry. And, um, a lot of people though, and I think when they think ministry and these guys can respond to if they want, but it is like that, it's that, it sounds bad, but it's that comfortable American ministry that, I mean, we, we get to participate in it here every week and we're blessed but how did you go from youth ministry college ministry to boom we're in the dr doing which we'll talk about love restored in a little bit but i feel like that's just for some people that's like oh i'll never be able to go be a missionary like i've heard, I've, i feel like i've even said that and i'm like i can't say that because i don't know if in 10 years i'll be a missionary i don't know so how did you yeah. guys make that jump from american ministry to let's go out of this country Well, obviously, one of the first steps was I went back to school and I knew God was calling me into full time ministry that was affirmed by other men who were a spiritual authority in my life, pastors that were like, yeah, you need to pursue this. God is opening a door. And um, that took me to um, actually apply for a residency program, a full time program down in North Canton at the chapel where they ended up taking in five men who were called to be either pastors or missionaries or full-time vocational ministry or bivocational church planners, something like that. Um, and there was a process that we went through and I'm like, man, I am the least qualified on paper for this. Right. And everybody that was surrounding me and speaking into my life at the time was like, no, you still need to throw your hat in the ring. And so I did. And that took me, um, that took me down to North Canton that took our family down there and we began to serve at the chapel and be part of this residency. And I was assigned to, um, well, I was assigned to the youth pastor as my mentor, I guess you could say at first, but he didn't last very long. And so I ended up being reassigned to the missions pastor 
by the providence of God. And yeah. we began to take these mission trips and lead these students there. And like I said, each trip was was a stitch. And what I mean by that is in 2015, on our first trip, or maybe it was 2014, our first trip, we were uh, bringing students to work right alongside the churches here that are, um, well, I mean, we're pretty close to the downtown, but like they were maybe 15 minutes outside of town. They were just like in an outlying village, right? And they were, you know, a pastor and his wife with maybe 50 or 60 people um, in the congregation. And we would come and we would just make ourselves available. We'd say, look, you take the brush, you paint the picture, you tell us how we can walk alongside you and best serve you for the week. Um, this is what we, we've got as far as personnel and resources. You take it from there. And so that's what we did. And it was funny, like at the um, at the advice of some other men that were speaking into my life during this time, they, they're like, include those students, include them in the decision making process when you're like saying, hey, where are we going to go? What, what trip are we going to take? Where are we going to serve? Um, and we did. And it was funny. Every time it was unanimous. They're like, let's go back to the DR. Let's go That's back so to the cool. DR. We love the DR. Yeah. We want to go back there. Um, and it was like God was just making that decision for us, you know. Um, but in answer to your question, it was personal stories on those trips, personal yeah. stories that Rachel and I would um, just by divine appointment get to sit down with somebody and learn. Um, and these, I'm talking girls as young as my daughters at the time. Um, I'll never forget the first time. We came on a trip. It was uh, a 14-year-old girl had shared her story with us about how she had been um, working at home, taking care of her three younger siblings. And we had been working in the village at this point that, that week. We were, it was probably halfway through the trip, three or four days in. Um, and we had noticed like every day at odd times, like half hour or so before lunch, three o'clock in the afternoon, she'd disappear. And we were like, Hey, where's Jude Lisa go? You know, well, why does she just up and leave? Um, and the pastor of the church was like, you should sit down and ask her. And so we did. And basically what we found out is that she leaves home to go home and take, or she leaves us to go home and take care of her younger siblings, prepare lunch, prepare dinner, clean the house. And, um, she was basically playing the part of mom and we're like, well, where's mom, right? That's the next question. And yeah. she said, well, mom, mom's at work and she works from sun up to sundown. She goes into town and she works for um, somebody doing housework. And then she comes back, you know, at sundown. So um, she said she had to do that because her mom told her it was her fault that her dad was in prison. And her dad was in oh, prison wow. because a, a school teacher at her school had noticed that Julissa had been acting kind of funny. Um, what, you know, the school teacher just took notice and said, what's going on? And eventually got to the problem that the dad had been pimping her out to his boss. Oh, wow. And here's the sickest part, eventually joined in. And this oh. is what we learned is like normal here. It's you're groomed from a very young age to, to do whatever you have to do. You, you just, whatever the, whatever it takes for the family to survive because of the poverty here, um, you do it. And even in my oldest daughter, she, she just came in the ninth grade this year. Um, her class went from 22 in eighth grade down to 12 in ninth grade. 
mainly wow. because the the parents are like, you've learned all you're going to learn. Yeah. You're, you need to help now. That's, that's intense. You kind of um, led into this. I'm going to kind of jump down a little bit. Just um, you kind of, um, I don't know, kind of filled us in a little bit on what you guys do, but can you, as uh, Hunter mentioned, can you just give us, um, you know, your heart behind love restored and you're just, you guys are doing an amazing thing. We're passionate about that up here. We we're helping out with a ministry up here. That's um, doing this locally. Um, you guys are obviously doing that, doing, doing this stuff down in the DR. We know that the Dominican Republic is kind of a hotbed for this. Um, it is. Yeah. Uh, human trafficking, how you guys are helping and all the above, I guess. Sure. I mean, what we knew with Julissa that is that there were many more stories just like hers and like we would hear them. And like I said, every time we would hear a story like that, it was, um, it was what God used to draw us here. It was what he burdened our hearts with. And, and so even moving here, we didn't know quite how to walk that out. And so Hunter, when you're asking like, man, how does somebody who just feels like they're a regular, you know, church goer, like ever think they can take that step. And it's, it's just daily obedience. And so we came yeah. here not knowing what the ministry, how it would unfold, what, what it would look like, but we did know, um, that being obedient in the little things is what God uses to open the doors to the big things. And so wow. we knew we wanted to stand in the gap, intercede for women and children, just like Julissa. And so we thought coming here, it might be that we would do a ministry focused solely on children. Um, God changed that plan because what we quickly realized is just like in the United States, there's a lot of red tape when it comes to taking guardianship, I guess you would say, over minors. Yeah. And so um, he began to show us as we would have conversations with women out in the street that there was an avenue to the next generation through the mother, right? A lot of places and a lot of organizations all over the world will will go in and, and – and extract, seek to rescue by extraction, right? Um, and we just believe that's not what God's asking us to do. There is a place for that, but we believe he's asking us to build the bridge of relationship. You know, the long-term, the dirty work, like get in there, yeah. find ways to, to, to take the light into the dark streets in the community where it's on, whether it's in your face and on and sex is on sale in a commercial way, or whether it's, just like backroom type stuff, like with Julissa and her dad pimping her out. Um, I know, um, I know like on the human, like on our side of it, when we really started to dig into what is human trafficking, what does that look like? Cause it has like a, almost like five different definitions, you know, it was really tough to get our head around here. Like how can we truly make a difference? We knew, the sex trade was an issue. You hear about it. It seems like it's on the rise as far as being an awareness. Um, it, it, but it was almost frustrating. So it's like, well, how are we really actually making a difference? So like you said, the whole extraction thing, that's kind of like what we get pumped up about. You know, it's, yeah. oh, man, I'm going to go down there and kick some doors in. And Ryan and I have had that conversation a few times, you know, just like, you know, we want to go kick some butt and, you know, like, but yeah, it's kind of. You never really hear about, you know, the people, like you said, doing the dirty work, really, you know, building the relationships because not every single girl can just be pulled out of that scenario or even wants to be pulled out of that scenario at the time that you meet them. 
That's a great so, point. I mean, most yeah. most often we hear of the re-entry rate into the street when it comes to um, organizations that perform raid is that or extraction is that there's there's really no place to put them and if there is they just feel like they're going from one captor to another like one yeah. situation that they're not happy in but they're you know it's normal to them it's to another situation where they're really not happy because now they're being told what to do and how to do it on a daily basis um where before at least they feel like they were making money or something you know it just yeah everybody hits their breaking point too when it comes to um restoration i mean there it's a hard road right i mean think of our own sanctification we get to places where we just throw our hands in the air and we're like man i'm never gonna stop swearing or whatever it is like whatever it is we struggle with and like they do too so um they need to know that they're loved they need to know that there's somebody that man no matter what happens they're going to stick by them and and yeah. to us that's where our whole the whole name love restored comes from we believe that there is so many there are so many different opinions on what love is i mean that's no that's no secret right yeah. there are so many different opinions on what love is that that we need to refocus and do a restorative work with defining love as god says what love is as he's shown us through his son jesus well what is that what has jesus done for me well, I can tell you personally, for me, Jesus has pursued the Father's best at great cost to himself. And so we need to define love that way. And we need to let they, let these women and children know that they are loved by God, a, a Father and a, and, a, and a Savior who wants the Father's best for them, no matter what, at great cost to himself. Like he went to the cross and died. He gave up everything to come to earth, all the comforts of heaven, right? And so— yeah. We need to redefine and we need to we need to preach this message. This is good news. If it's not, if it's not good news that people were preaching it to, then maybe we ought to check what we're saying because yeah. this is good news, right? And, and they need to know that they are loved and this they need to be restored in the perfect love of Christ. And so that's where that that's where that came from. That's where love restored was birthed out of. And um, yeah, we do we we do believe that God's asking us to do the long and arduous journey of building a relationship and that's exactly what jesus did for me he pursued me even when i was saying you know what god thanks for giving me life but no thanks for telling me how to live it um and he didn't stop he kept pursuing me so looking back actually just for a second the like i had asked the question because i think this podcast serves two purposes for our church to hear about you guys but it can maybe encourage some people that have thought missions for their life and they've never really pursued it. What were some of the fears and the questions you guys had before you decided to leave Northeast Ohio and head to the DR and kind of how God maybe calmed those fears and stuff. I mean, if people listening, they automatically can start to think, Oh, I got a housing. I got to figure out food job. How am I going to make money being a missionary? So, and this is like, there's like two questions on the paper about it, but like, I'm sure you have some cool stories of how he's provided for you guys along the way. So yeah, all well, that. Well, I wish I wish Rachel was in on this conversation on this part of it at least because yeah, I mean when you have a family, it's not easy. You know, it's not it's not like hey, babe, we're going to the DR, we're packing up everything and leaving Ohio, and it's going to be all hunky dory. Man, yeah. fear and questions come up every day, and like, are we doing the right thing? Is this what's best? Like, are we obeying? Um, 
Healthcare, huge, huge question mark. Education, are they going to, like, are my kids going to suffer because I took them out of a, a good school in the United States to bring them here to something that's maybe we consider subpar, right? Um, man, yeah, there were huge fears and questions, no doubt. Um, but I'll tell you this, it's impossible, without faith, it's impossible to please God. And then we had spent some really special time with another missionary who took his family to Guatemala. And he looked right at my wife because she was in tears. And I, I'll never forget this. He said, without faith, it's impossible to please him. And if you think for a second that your kids are going to suffer because of your obedience to God, then you've got a wrong picture of the Heavenly Father. Wow. And I was just like, man, man. Yeah, God, give me strength to walk this out because yeah, I know I know my my wife is broken over this. I'm broken over this. Um, and I tell you, we were here probably four months. And you guys, I don't even know if I told you this, Jeremy, but I have a clotting disorder called APS. So my blood, it will clot if I sit in this chair too long. Like I just get my calves will swell up out of nowhere. And, um, yeah, I mean, that's really dangerous, right? I could die. <laughs> so, yeah, kind of, yeah. <laughs> well, and I found out right before we got on the plane to move here in 2017 and the doctor was like, look, if you'd have got on that plane, that would have been, that could have been the end. <laughs> so it's a good thing we figured this out before you left. Um, but that to say this, we had been here for like four months and our Spanish was not great. I mean, we're still... I would say we're we're still learning. We're not completely fluent. I mean, I don't know if I'll ever feel that way. But, you know, being in the country for four months, we were just at the basics still. And um, I'm on the strongest thinner they make twice a day. And I'm out. We have our friends' kids over because they were going out of town and we were keeping them for the weekend. And I'm out, you know, trimming up the bushes or the palm trees around the pool. And the kids are swimming. So we've got like seven kids in this house. And um, I'm out using sharp objects after I probably had taken my thinner, I don't know, an hour or two before that. Ended up slicing my wrist, completely severing both the artery and the the vein. And I'm talking, it's like a fountain. It's just all over the place. And um, I'm sticking my hand, my thumb from my other hand in the hole, trying to get it to stop. And I'm like, oh, this ain't stopping. There's nothing that's going to stop. I need to get, I need to get to the clinic. I mean, there's a public hospital that I, I don't think I would ever go there, but there's a public hospital and then there's a private clinic. Right. And so we had um, an intern staying with us at the time. And I don't know if she'd ever driven a four wheeler, let alone in another country. Um, But I said, Courtney, you got to take me to the clinic. And I hopped on because Rachel's got to stay here with the kids. And I hopped on the four-wheeler with my thumb in that hole with the gushing coming out underneath. And we went to the clinic and I could not tell them that I was on thinner. I didn't know how. I'm like, all I knew to say was I, in Spanish was I have a problem with my blood. And they're like, yeah, yeah, we see that. Right. We can tell. (laughs) All over you. In that moment, another missionary walked in the clinic and saw me who had been there for like two and a half years and he spoke great Spanish and he knew that I was on thinner 
And he started pointing to all the ER doctors and nurses, telling them what to do. And within minutes, they were giving me a shot to clot up the blood with a tourniquet on and everything. And it was done. Wow. Not only that, but here, in the even in the clinics, the private clinics, um, not all the doctors are there all the time, right? So if there's a specialist, like an orthopedic specialist, or if there's a, um, I don't know, you get the picture. If there's some sort of specialist that um, they rotate to the different clinics, and these clinics are probably 45 minutes to an hour away, each of them. You know, they're one down the mountain. There's one farther up the mountain. There's one over here. Like they rotate on different days to the different clinics. They don't just work at the one all the time. And um, both the general surgeon and the orthopedic surgeon happen to be in that clinic on that day. Wow. Not only that, it gets better. This guy's wife who walked into the ER right at that time and started barking out orders gets word of what happened, goes over to our house to comfort Rachel and starts making phone calls to all the other missionaries she knows. I'm in the operating room on the table. Both of those doctors are working on my wrist and the nurse walks in, knocks on the door, peeks her head and she's like, are you going to need that blood? You know, cause they knew they were like, it, it could get a lot. It's got to, it may get worse before it gets better. We got to make a, a larger yeah. cut. We've got to pull back the retracted veins. We've got to do a lot of work to make this right. And um, he's like, he's like, what, what, what blood? Like she goes, well, there's 12 men out here in the in the waiting room waiting to get blood if they need. Wow, wow. <laughs> that's so isn't that wild. incredible? Like yeah, God incredible. did not Still. just have His hand on that. Like in every avenue, like. Yeah. From from Dan was the missionary's name to Courtney and getting me there to, uh, man, my fear of just going to the clinic in the first place to to Dan's wife being here with Rachel and making those phone calls to all these missionaries who, you know, we'd only been in the country four months. Like they didn't even really know us. A dozen of them wow. sitting out in the waiting room waiting to give blood for somebody they don't really even know. Like God yeah. was all over that. And he used that to say, yeah, yeah if I can do that, guess what? I can take care of your kid's education. I can take care yeah. of anything that this is going to, this, this moving here is going to throw at you. Yeah. No, and that's, so, um, I never met I'll a you, missionary that didn't no, there's have, nothing um, like walking by faith. Yeah. I, I never met a missionary that didn't have, um, stories like that. And obviously, you know, here in the States and just, you know, doing what we do, we can just kind of get in the flow so easy of ministry and, you know, it's almost easy, you know, and it's, it, it is kind of cool when you go to a place where there isn't the common luxuries that we have and all the things yeah. that we're used to. And it's like, it's it, God shows up, you know, and God takes care of you. I mean, your family, obviously you have a beautiful family. I mean, you guys, you guys probably stick out a little bit when you go into town and you, <laughs> you go throughout the DR. I mean, that is, that, that is weird. That is a weird part of moving cross-culturally is that you are now the minority right like yeah, everybody yeah. kind of stares at you and you just got to get used to that that's a great what, compliment. Uh, yeah. appreciate it what does um so real quick back to the love restored um sorry back to the love restored what does um what do you guys you know just how does it work how does it function how does uh, you make these relationships um with these women with these girls that have been 
you know, in a bad situation that have been trafficked, that have, you know, just not had uh, the best life. Like how it's kind of, you know, we as Americans, we want, you know, answers like, how are we going to make this right? How are we going to make this happen? Um, what, you know, what's the goal, I guess? What is, is it to build the relationships to the point where they trust you, mm-hmm. um, you know, to where they will listen, to where they will hear the gospel, the Lord changes them? Is it, obviously we're coming down, we'll talk about that in a second here to help uh, build a safe house. How does, how does it work? How does it work? Well, yeah, so the way we see the ministry functioning best is through five different arms, I guess you could say. Um, one of those is prevention. One is relief, one is rescue, one is redemption, and the last would be restoration. And so I would say this, um, prevention would be just setting up connections. We have a local church that we attend here that we're deeply connected to, and they love us. They love what we're doing. We love them. We, we're, we're super involved. Um, our pastor is a doctor himself who speaks fluent English, and um, so we want to integrate the local church as much as we can. Um, so, so making connections with local churches, the schools where our kids go, um, and even the ones right here, the public ones right around our home, uh, making connections with them, trying to get in to be able to, um, maybe even coach a team. I mean, Rachel coached a volleyball team a year and a half ago for, um, the entire year, which was really cool, you know, to just learn about, you know, where other kids are, are at in their in their walk, in their life, like, what are they experiencing? Um, just programming that focuses on educating the kids and the parents, um, the common practices of predators, um, that kind of thing. God's intent and his design of the family is not something that's taught here. And so if we can have an avenue in any of these ways, churches, schools, sports clubs, um, even, even in the in the property that we're working on right now, we are just finishing up a discipleship center. And in the, in the top level of the discipleship center, we're going to have a uh, emergency needs pantry that we'll use for outreach into our community. That'll start, that'll open the door. That'll start building the bridge. You know, that'll set down the first layer and say, okay, come on in. Here's a, here's how we can, here's how Jesus fed the 5,000, right? You got an, you got an emergent need. Let's take care of it. Um, But that starts the process. And and so that would be all, you know, entering in. That's how we enter into the street. That's how we hope to um, educate and prevent um, future things from from going down the road. They've always gone down. Relief would be basically just seeing a need and meeting it. And I know that's kind of what we just described with the um, emergency needs pantry. But a quick story, um, there was – Two years ago, there was a uh, a couple down the street from us. They had five kids, and uh, the husband ended up being not a good guy. Um, he would get drunk. He would beat the tar out of the wife, and a lot of times right in front of the kids. And till one day, I mean, the kids came running down the street to use our phone to call the cops. And they did. The cops came. They arrested him. Uh, the way the justice system works down here is if she were to ever take her foot off the gas pedal, like if she were to ever not show up at a court appointed time or a, a hearing, um, they basically just let him go. It's like, you know, you're dropping the charges almost. Wow. And so um, we set up 
um, transportation for her because the court hearings were like half hour away. Um, and she had no, it was down the mountain. So she had no way to get there and back. We set up, you know, childcare for when she was gone. We, um, the biggest thing was the seeing the need of her home itself. Her home was like something I could, it was like a shack. I could push it over with my two hands. And so me and a couple of the other local guys that normally help me on stuff like that, um, man, we were like, man, if this, if he gets out, he's going to come back and finish the job. We need to fortify these walls, these windows, these doors. And we did just that. We took a week solid and just, man, pretty much rebuilt the house from the ground up um, and fortified every entry point. And so, you know, stuff like that, um, where we can remove a weight from her shoulders, right? That's relief. That's relief. Um, rescue is what I've kind of already described. In our in our experience, it's not the raid as much as it is intervening in the lives of those are, that are being exploited, seeking to develop a Christ-centered relationship. So you need to enter where they're at. You need to find the dark streets, the slums, the, the, the strip bars, the clubs, all that stuff, all the nasty stuff. you got to find those spots where they're at already. It's kind of their place of shame, but it's where you meet them, right? It's where God met me. And so um, it's building that bridge of relationship. That's real rescue because we found that when that happens, the, the reentry rate back into the street is, is a lot less than if they were extracted. Yeah. And in the process of, re- of that is redemption. That's not anything we do. As you all know, that's what Jesus does. That's what he did yeah. for me. That's what he's done for y'all. I mean, he basically enters their life as he, and starts stirring their affections for his, for his word and his desires and purchases them out of the marketplace of sin, right? Um, to where they don't want to go back. That's, that's redemption. And then restoration is what well, you're going to be helping us do, Jeremy. You're going to come down with these guys and we're going to start the first safe house. Um, we hope to have six of these uh, safe house styles that that you'll find out when you get here. But they they're not big. They're not. We're not focused on numbers. They're um, small little two bedroom ranch style homes. Where the idea would be this: if there is a woman that is being um, trafficked or exploited or abused, she could bring the kids with her, and she could have that whole house to herself. That's great. If it is a single woman, a single adult woman, she could then share that house with one other person. And so we hope to start the first of six when you guys get here on January 28th um, and and put a program in place where they can learn a job skill, something that God's made them already passionate about through the way he's gifted them. Um, We have people in the States that are wanting to come down and teach different job skills, professionally trained people in the States that want to come down and intervene in the lives of these women. So that's really exciting. Yeah. Um, I want to ask the question that I've probably been thinking since we started, um, and then we can kind of bounce back into this. You know, you had mentioned that it's common, I guess, for women in the Dominican to be in children or young girls to be um, pimped out, essentially. What do you think that percentage is? Like if we're looking at like a tangible number from your experience, what do you think the percentage is? of girls or in women who are pimped out and caught in it? Oh, how to quantify it. Yeah. I, yeah, because I I, I can... I'm, I'm, a, I'm a very numbers person. So like, you know, I'm thinking this whole time I'm like, okay, it's definitely a problem. It's a, it's a problem, you know, domestically here in the United States and definitely internationally. 
but mm-hmm. I, I'm a very numbers person. I was, I was sitting here doing some research while you were talking. I'm like, okay, there's at least the state department thinks at least a million women and children a year in the United States. And we're at a population of 350 million and there could be more. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, well, quantitatively, what is it in the Dominican? And I think that could maybe give us a little bit of a bigger picture of the issue. Sure. Well, as you know, the, the island here, uh, the Dominican shares the island with Haiti. And so just here on the DR side, um, we have 11 million people that mm-hmm. live in this country. And uh, even our own State Department, our State Department puts out a trafficking in persons report every year. And even according to our, our trafficking in persons report, uh, report by our State Department, the Dominican Republic is the number four, number four Jeez. nation wow. in, the, in the world for the export of minors. Wow. Crazy. Wow. Um, and I mean, realistically, it plays itself out this way. I mean, I sat not too long ago, uh, we were walking what we call the strip. There is a place on the North Shore, a town called Sasua, that mm-hmm. uh, it is just in your face. If you Google Sasua, mm-hmm. be careful. Like, there is one reason people know about Sasua, and it's not good. It's because mm-hmm. there is sex for sale everywhere. And wow. um, people come from all over the world. I mean, I, Europeans, Americans, Canadians, they come for sex tourism to Sasua all the time. But Rachel and I were out there not too long ago, prayer walk in the Strip. And the Strip is just like a quarter mile in Sasua of nothing but clubs and massage parlors and bars and discos and you name it. And we're out there prayer walking one evening and God gave us a divine appointment with a young lady and we bought her dinner. And we're asking her, you know, about her story. Like, how'd you get here? And uh, part of her story was that about 13 years old, she began to feel ugly. And I said, why, why do you feel ugly? Why, why at 13? You're telling me you're 19. You look like you're 15. I don't know. Yeah. Wow. Why at 13 did you start to feel ugly? And she said, because every one of my friends had been touched by a family member, a friend, um, somebody they knew or didn't know, uh, everybody that she was close to that was her age had been touched in some way, and she had not. And that just broke my heart as a father. Man, that ripped me in half. You know, you could probably speak to this. I I was reading a documentary. I was watching a documentary, and they – this is a statistic that I didn't even, like, realize until, like – it was put into perspective, but they were saying that most of the guys who come to those foreign countries, um, the biggest consumer of the sex trafficking industry is actually American men and how they travel to all these different countries. It's, it's just, it's just sad and it's disgusting. And it's right. It's just, yeah. it's just crazy. And it's not something that most people understand or realize and know. And why is well, that? I mean, a lot of people think of the DR and they think world-class beach, you know, Punta Cana, these things, and yeah. they're all true. I mean, it's a beautiful place to vacation with your family, no doubt, but anywhere you have stuff like that, anywhere there's tourism in that, in that capacity, I mean, there's going to be sex on sale. And yeah. most of them, yeah. I mean, not all of them are under somebody's thumb, but most of them, even if they aren't, that's part of their story. That's not, that's another a whole other issue that we've learned talking with women is that even if they're not currently being trafficked or pimped out, like it's somewhere along the line, that's part of their story. It's how they got there. Wow. 
Um, so yeah, we are, yeah, we're doing good on time. So kind of wrap up and you and Jeremy can kind of fill the rest of the people that are listening in on this. Um, we're excited to partner with you guys. Like this is going to be so much fun. Like the trips already like kind of like a start of it, but I mean, it's going to be probably for years and years to come. Hopefully we bring multiple teams down to see you guys. I mean, like when Megan heard, we were coming down with guys. She's like, Oh, I wish I could go. So I imagine (laughs) we'll have some awesome stories for years and years to come. So the, you've already, you guys have already talked about it a little bit, but the safe house um, is kind of a big thing. Um, so you want to give any details on that thing? So, I mean, we're going to, we're going to be talking about it for the next few weeks to do also in church, but any details specifically on that? And then, yeah, we'll probably wrap up a little bit after that. So, either you yeah. So like I said, the, uh, the safe house is going to be a, just a two bedroom ranch style home, about 20 feet wide by 30 feet deep. Our hope is then, um, to have six of those on the property and we're going to build them out of block. This is a recent change because of the price and materials, um, but we're going to go all block. It'll afford us also an easier way to go up if we ever wanted to put a second level and another, yeah. another unit on top. Um, it'll be a much easier to do that building with a little block, more hurricane but, um, proof too. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, um, yeah. we're, uh, we're going to start that. We're going to start that as soon as Jeremy's team gets here on the 28th. And, um, <laughs> hopefully we can get that uh, as much of it knocked out, knocked out as possible, but we'll see. And, um, yeah, then it will still keep moving forward throughout the spring. And, uh, we've got, let's see, three more teams in the summer that are on the schedule to come. So, so awesome. That's, oh, awesome. that's great. That's awesome. So you guys are going to get that knocked out. Yeah, no, yeah, that's, that's uh, what we're hoping. Yeah. With uh, missions just here at Neo, for those that are listening to this from our church or connected to Neo, I mean, our goal isn't just to do a bunch of stuff like a shotgun approach. It really is to uh, focus on a few parts of the world, a few missionaries and do everything we can to partner with them long-term so we can build the relationships and we can really see a eternal impact uh deeper not wider is what we keep saying and you know to think that you know we get the shot at building one of these i you know you mentioned it you know we were like i just don't want to come down and paint some walls and pat ourselves on the back and make us feel good you know the goal was you know it's like what what is there a true need is there you know and you i remember you were like yes we want to build the first safe house i'm like oh we get the first one you know so i was yeah i don't know i just felt like god was lining this up we were looking at going to panama and um, just a number of different reasons that had to get shut shut down. And so God shifted our gears to come hang out with you guys for a week. And once we saw all the pieces coming together, oh, man. So we're praying. And if you're listening to this before we go on our trip, uh, please be praying. Just uh, right now, a lot of flights are getting canceled, postponed, whatever, you know. And so right. we're, we know we're not out of the, the woods yet on getting there, getting back. But um, we feel like God, you know, put our paths together for a reason. And, um, you know, I, I, I'm looking forward to seeing what he does, um, as Hunter said, not just on this trip, but in future years and, you know, 10 years from now, what does it look like? You know, how many people have been able to come down from, you know, Northeast Ohio through Neo that God used, yeah. you know, in the Dominican Republic. So, yeah, I mean, I can't wait till I can come. So I know, <laughs> I know. I'm like, kind of sad I'm missing out on this trip. Um, but yeah, so I'll, I'll make a quick plug just for everybody listening. Cause like I said, the first one went great. Um, we are going to be raising money to build this safe house. Um, so if you're listening and you're like, you know what, this conversation has inspired me to give a little towards this. Um, you can actually go right through Neo church's website. There's a give button there and there's a drop down for the Dominican Republic trip to give, um, what? 
yeah, yeah, you want to fill them in with how 15, much? Fifteen thousand um, is the cost that it costs to actually get this thing built. So yeah, that's um, our goal. It'd be we've awesome. been able to raise a little bit, but uh, we really would love to be able to get the full amount uh, taken care of. Yeah. So if you go to neochurch.org, there's a give button there. Then hit the Dominican drop down whenever you give there. Um, but yeah, it's going to be awesome. We'll bring as much as we can bring down and help get this thing started. Maybe yeah. who knows what God's going to do um, through that. So definitely, if you're interested in doing that, but. Um, yeah, I think we've asked enough questions. The last question was about your goals. I mean, I think we've already started talking about that a little bit. But um, is there anything you want to say in parting before we uh, hang up this call here in a second? Man, we are just so blown away by you guys. I, I want to tell you how grateful we are. We can't can't hardly put it into, into words because, like Jeremy said, he, God just put this together in a way that's undeniable. And when he does that, when he opens a door – that we weren't even looking to open, right? I yeah. just get a phone call from Germany. He says, man, this is my situation. What are you guys doing? And do you have a need? And you just, you, you can't, you can't do anything but give God the glory, right? Like I always say when he opens a door that we weren't even looking to open, we have to still have the faith to take that step through it. And yeah. he's never going to leave us to wonder whether we made the right call or not, he is always going to affirm our steps of faith. And he, I know that because he's done it in my own life. And so, you know, if anybody out there is listening and they're like, man, I don't know if I could ever go on a trip like that, or I don't know if I could ever become a missionary and do those things. I mean, let me just tell you, I never thought I could either, but these little steps of obedience is what God uses. He uses ordinary people that feel like they have no power and no skill and he just does some amazing things. Yeah. And it, I wouldn't trade this life for anything. I wouldn't trade it for all the money in the world, like all the all the things you see on TV, none of it. Like to to walk this walk of faith and live this life with Jesus, like I'm telling you, man, we are so excited. We're so excited for this partnership. Yeah. We're so excited to see what God's going to do this next year. How many safe houses are going to get built? I don't know. But yeah. I, no matter how many get built, whether it's one or, or three or six, I don't know, but we're going to give God the glory and we're going to, yeah. we're going to keep talking about it. We're going to keep posting about it online. You can follow our webpage on Facebook. It's love restored mission. And that's, awesome. um, that's a way to keep up to date with what's going on here. And uh, man, we're just grateful for you guys. Thank you for this yeah. opportunity. Well, thanks for coming on our podcast and sharing. Um, I think it's, this is, this is, this is the goal of what we, the reason we started our podcasts um, is to, share amazing stories of people that are living by faith and you guys are very much doing that. Um, so yeah, we're going to wrap it up, fellas. You got any last minute funny questions? Cause this was a pretty serious, heavy podcast um, <laughs> talking about the parts of the world that need the love of Christ. But any, any last minute, just something to ease the tension for our listeners. Are there any Komodo dragons there? <laughs> in the DR? Any Komodo? I have not seen any Komodo <laughs> dragons. There are a ton of lizards though. They're just the small ones. The small oh. ones, yeah. I grew up in Florida, so I'm 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 used to lizards. But I mean, you got anything, Ryan? You usually are. Mr. Listen, Oddball. this is a uh, very topic that I feel very strongly about. So I'm not in the mental capacity to ask a funny question. <laughs> well, or so more serious questions, yeah. if anything. I got more questions about that, if you like. Yeah. There are well, spiders I, I, about I, as big as your head. Okay, just put your hand over your head. Not kind of imagine that. I mean, I could keep this podcast going for the next three hours. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you for sharing your. Uh, thank you for sharing your stories i mean it's it's amazing to hear and i mean we look forward to coming down in a couple weeks so 
Thanks, guys. Thank you, sir. Bye. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Vision Carriers Podcast brought to you by Neo Church in Seven Hills, Ohio. Uh, if you would like more information on the show or the church, you can go to our website, neochurch.org. Um, there is all types of info there to help you get a better understanding of who we are and what we do here in the Northeastern Ohio region. Uh, also, if you'd like to support the show in any way, you can do that by going to neochurch.org and there's a button there to support as well. Uh, so thank you for listening. Once again, be sure to follow our podcast wherever you listen to it at so you are notified of when we release future episodes. Uh, If you would also like to get in contact with us, you can go do that by emailing us at visioncarrierspodcast at gmail.com. Once again, thank you and you have a wonderful rest of your day.